Welcome to the New England Football Show. I'm your host, John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirkchen. And tonight we have a very special guest, UMass head football coach Walt Bell joins the show again. Coach Bell, thank you for taking the time to join us tonight. Absolutely. Number one, I can promise you I'm not very special, but I, I do appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, baby's down, so I got plenty of time. Awesome. Well, let's just jump right into it. Obviously, big one on Saturday. You guys get the 27 to 13 win over UConn. We, we don't need to get into what it means in terms of streaks and whatnot. But my first question is, and this is the coach in me, I, I it's the number one thing I thought when you had committed to joining us tonight. Just talk about what this means to the players, because we know what it means to you and the staff, right? But what do you think this means to the players who have done everything you've asked them to? They've busted their hump for you guys since you've been there from day one. What do you think a win like this means for them? Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and to the guys that have coached and have been a part of the team and have been a part of the game of football, I mean, that's all that matters. You know, like 99.9% mm -hmm. .9 of the coaches in this business are in it for one reason, and that is the players. You know, and, and how well they've handled adversity, how well they've dealt, you know, with with a lot of really bad breaks. You know, I mean, we've we've been at disadvantage for some time, you know, and just for those guys to get an unbelievable reward and, and win a game that was really important to them. Um, you know, more importantly, anything else, just to see smiles on our faces, to see how excited they were when it happened. I mean, that, that's why you coach, you know, and and. You know, we, we've had enough of the other side of it. You know, it was really good, you know, just to see them excited and, you know, to kind of see them get some payback for all the work that they've put in. Coach, you mentioned, you know, the um, the excitement after the game. I have to ask you about the Stone Cold Steve Austin-esque uh, celebration in the locker room and just overall what that meant to you as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, number one, you know, I'm 30, uh, uh, born in 84, so 37. So I, I, when I was growing up, you know, when I was a really young kid, that's what some people would consider the golden era of wrestling with Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and Sergeant Slaughter and the Ultimate Warrior, you know. And then when I was in middle school, that was the Attitude Era, you know, which some other people would consider the greatest, you know, uh, era of wrestling, just depending on where, you know, you know, growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, obviously wrestling's important in that part of the country. Um, you know, and so it was kind of off the cuff, you know, our, our, our kids know my love for the attitude area of pro wrestling. And so, you know, they were all in there kind of hanging out. I was the last one off the field, just shaking hands and doing the whole deal. And somebody hit it. I heard the glass break, ran in there and had a good time with the kids. Um, but no, it wasn't scripted or anything like that. I can promise you. It was just, there was two water bottles laying there and it was only natural. No, I'm 34. So I completely get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, one thing that I think some people who follow college football don't always know is just how much work the kids and the coaches put in between conditioning and lifting and studying the playbook and going to practice and doing more conditioning. I, I, it feels like, you know, it's a lot when you're losing to be doing all that stuff. Nope, throws up. Looks like we we lot might have lot. Oh, there he is. He's back. there. He is. Well, no, the the, the biggest thing, and I, I knew where that question was going is, you know, just I mean, you know, hard work is relative. You know, I mean, everybody works hard. There's not a coach in this profession that doesn't work hard. Um, we're as a staff a little bit more on the grindier side than some, just because that's what it's going to take for us to elevate the program. Um, you know, and our players work extremely hard. You know, we, we try to be, you know, as scientific as you can in the process, but there is no substitution for physical toughness, which is blocking and tackling, and there's no substitution for conditioning. So we're probably a little bit on the grindier side with the way we practice as well. You know, if ultimately that's what we want to be, that's what we have to do. You know, we've got to develop some battle callus. And so um, our kids work extremely hard. Our staff works hard, but, you know, Again, hard work is relative. And also, I think our kids understand that hard work doesn't guarantee you anything. You know, hard work only guarantees you an opportunity. And so just again, just to see our guys, you know, be able to realize an opportunity they worked really hard for. You know, I mean, if we, you know, connect the dots on a couple open footballs in the Eastern Michigan game, you know, that's probably going to be a one possession game, you know, early in the in the first half. You know, we had a 
a tip ball, you know, we had a drop ball interception, you know, we ran the ball up and down the field, but just couldn't, you know, finish. And, um, you know, and so that could have been a one possession game. You know, if we get a stop or don't have a special teams issue against BC, that could have been a one possession game, um, you know, knowing that they weren't playing their best football that day. And, and, you know, and then, you know, Coastal Carolina's a really good football team. You know, once, I mean, they did that to us the very next week. They did it to Monroe the very, you know, last week they did it to Arkansas State. I mean, they're a top 15 team for a reason, um, you know. And so just after the way we played at Toledo, we knew we were going to grind this out. We knew we were going to hand the football off. We knew it was going to be a really ugly football game, you know. And so, again, man, just how hard our kids work just to be able to see them realize the opportunity and have a few breaks go our way, you know, it was, it was fun to see. Alex Urkiel checks in. Thanks for checking in, Alex. Awesome celebration. Coach, congratulations on the win. On the win. Uh, Saturday was a lot of fun, and indeed it was a lot of fun. Coach, you mentioned the Boston College game, and I thought being at that game, I thought that in many ways you guys, yeah, you can make the argument they didn't play well, but you guys played well, and I really liked your game plan. I liked a lot of what you did offensively. You kept them off balance. Talk a little bit about that game as being a possible turning point for this program because you know how it is. When you're building a program, the outside world's expectations are a lot different than the expectations of the, of the people within the program. But do you think that was a little bit of a turning point game for you guys in terms of taking that next step? You know, I don't necessarily – you know, I think for – you know, I, I really struggle, you know, to – big pretty boxes and ultimately, you know, cause obviously, you know, as a football coach, you work in seven day increments, you know, and you know, the ultimate result was a law. So it wasn't as successful as it needed to be. Um, I thought that Brady played really well on short notice. Um, I thought we threw and caught the ball better um, than we had since probably we had been here that day, you know, some small little game plan adjustments that we handled. Um, but on the flip side of that, you know, there are some things that we didn't do well on defense. There were some special teams issues we had early in the first half. We kind of missed, you know, and it has to be expected with a really young quarterback. You know, we kind of missed some things. But um, I, I think more than anything else, I was just really proud of Brady, number one, and then number two, just how they competed. Even – the game would kind of get away and we'd fight our way back and it would get away and we'd fight our way back. And then, you know, if we don't have a, you know, it's a chance to be a one possession game, you know, when they were punting the ball to us, you know, in good field position and, and, you know, Eric is as good a human being as there is on the planet. I can promise you didn't mean to put that ball on the ground. It's something we work every single day. It's something he takes incredible pride in, you know, and we just kind of made a big mistake and allow him to score and put the game away. But um, it was really good to see our kids compete um, and also, you know, it was good to see kind of what Brady can become, you know, and, and again, you know, Brady's going to be a really special player someday, you know, it's just probably happening two years before he should be out there having to do what he's doing right now. Um, you know, but that, that was a good glimpse of what, you know, his future holds. Um, but, you know, again, as a coach, you don't necessarily – you don't see that for a long time. You know, all you see is the intended result. We didn't get the job done and we got to go back and we got to improve. Um, but I know after that game, our kids were in a position where they understand that, you know, how we practice and how that translates to games and the importance of preparation. And um, those are all great learning lessons, you know, because again, the, the process of learning how to win, especially coming to a program that's, you know, that's never really been the expectation um, you know, to see that change and how they practice that next Sunday, you know, and Monday and Tuesday. I mean, it's just uh, there's been an unbelievable amount of learning lessons through all this, um, you know, and just the difference, you know, and again, you talk about the football coach and the people that have been around the game and, and played the game like in 19 when we got here, the reaction of losing a football game to where it is now is night and day. You know, and does that still mean we're getting the results that we want right now? Absolutely not. But but there's progress being made in the expectation level for the position, for the player, and for the football team, you know, and that's a huge part of it. And so, um, to me, that was the biggest thing. I, I thought, you know, you know, as long as you learn, 
you know, you don't lose as much, you don't lose as bad, you know, and I thought it was a good learning lesson for us. Coach, you, uh, you talk about Brady Olson having to do, you know, a lot very early on. How much has Tyler Lytle helped him and um, how much has he been able to kind of lean on him? Well, I think the biggest thing for Tyler is kind of the role he's had to take in the, in the meeting room and on the practice field. You know, I mean, obviously myself, you know, when you're coordinating offense, you're kind of worried about all 11 of them. You know, Fred as the quarterback's coach is really worried about the guy getting the practice repetition, but Tyler's kind of able to sit back and kind of take it all in. So it's probably going to serve two purposes. Number one, it's allowed him to kind of see the, you know, football through the the lens of a coach and how difficult it is to get a bunch of 18 year olds to do what they're supposed to do all the time, you know, at differing levels of, you know, experience and um, exposure and skill level. But also I think it'll help him see the game better when he does make it back. You know, but he's been tremendous. He does a really nice job on the sideline. He's got great maturity. You know, he's very even keeled. You know, I, I think he does a good job with Zamar and Brady on the sideline, just kind of being an extra set of eyes. You know, because again, whether it's being myself on the sideline, who's got to go be a head coach, or Coach Walker, you know, in the press box on a telephone, sometimes it's good to be able to sit down and talk through the last series and what you saw and why. And, and Tyler's kind of filled that role for us. Uh, one thing I've, I'm curious about, because you've been at places where the big rivalries are at Florida State and obviously, you know, with Miami and Florida and teams like that. But with UMass is a little different because, you know, UMass and BC don't play every year. UMass and UConn uh, – and, and I feel like those three schools, UMass, UConn, and BC, really should play every year just to sort of – keep things going and with, with the rivalries what was your what's your impression bit because it felt like this year with the bc game and with the yukon game they felt like rivalry games in, in terms of the atmosphere and the stands and everything like that what's your um perspective been like of the rivalries that umass has well i think the biggest thing is just there's so many you know you take the roster at bc and the roster at umass or the roster at yukon the roster at, there's so much crossover. There's so many kids that played against each other, know of each other. There's so much, you know, crossover between coaching staffs and, you know, Coach Reed's coached at both play. I mean, you know, anytime you have that and you kind of have intimate knowledge of the people that you're playing against, it makes it much more fun, you know, and, and a little bit more competitive and adds a little bit of juice. And obviously the fact that it's local, um, you know, and it's it's driving distance and you're going to have to hear about it for those next 365 days a year. I, you know, I, I'm like you. I wish, you know, I wish, number one, that, that, you know, we would do a great job from a scheduling standpoint and being as regional as we can. You know, obviously, conference affiliation has a lot to do with that. Um, you know, but for us right now as an independent, you know, to have those games is huge for us because those really are our only natural rivals. No one is an independent. You know, your schedule is completely different every year, you know, and you don't see many people in crossover and you don't get to recruit. You know what I mean? Because in coaching, rivalries and recruiting are, you know, hand in hand. You know, that's where the rivalry gets built is in recruiting, you know, and recruiting against the same people, you know, year in and year out and developing a little bit of bad blood. You know, that's that's where the, the rivalry shows up. But, you know, we, we don't get to necessarily do that as much as an independent. So um, the ability to play, you know, UConn, BC, you know, I, you know, hopefully we can, you know, play Buffalo. I mean, just as many as those regional rivalries as we can create would be, you know, wonderful for us as our program and, and great for our kids, our fan base. You are watching the New England football show, and we are joined by UMass head football coach Walt Bell. Feel free to join the conversation. Uh, if you want to comment, if you have any questions for coach, feel free to join us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, put your comments in. We'll put them up. And um, if it's a question, Coach will answer it. If it's a comment, we'll speak to it. Coach, we talked about this before we went live. Alice Merriweather comes here last year, big back, ideal fit for the way you want to play. And I told you it warmed my heart. The coach and me to see him get 39 carries for 171 yards and two touchdowns. You know what? That is awesome, especially because given the fact you guys have lost Karon Adams, you've had, you know, your depth is thinning at that position. To put the game in Ellis's hands in that way and to lean on him, I thought that was impressive. I thought that was awesome. Talk a little bit about that. What what was your thought process and why you decided, you know what, he's running hard. We're going to let him take us home. Yeah, I thought, 
you know, there's a couple things that go into it. I think number one, you know, kind of like we alluded to on air is, you know, I'd be really hard pressed in the last 10 years of college football, somebody get 35 plus carries. I mean, that's Vince Dooley, yeah. Herschel Walker stuff right there. So yeah. just the wherewithal, the physical conditioning, you know, the mental conditioning, just to be able to take care of the football, touching it that many times. And I know like a lot of people don't understand that, but like, when you get good and tired and lathered up and you're the last of the Mohicans in terms of the unprotected position on the football field as a running back, you know, everybody's got rules, you know, and defenseless except you, you know, and, and to literally touch it 40 because he had a couple catches too, you know, I mean, to touch it 40 something times and just have the mental and physical conditioning just to take care of the ball as well as he did, um, let alone the productivity and all the other things. And then number two, I mean, I would think that they knew we weren't going to throw the football very much after the first drive. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, nine straight runs to open the game kind of tells you what we're about to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and with a young quarterback, you, you know, that, that obviously you don't want to put an 18-year-old kid in a position to, to hurt the football team either. You know, so I think everybody in the building knew we were about to hand it off a lot. You know, and 79 plays and 56 runs, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to do, you know, especially with my background and what I've done up until this point in my life to hand the ball off 56 times is hard enough to do. Um, but he had an unbelievable day, you know, he took care of the ball. He ran hard, he ran tough, um, you know, and, and even, you know, again, they knew we were doing it too. It's not like we were running into a bunch of light boxes. I mean, it was seven and eight man box the entire day too, you know, so it wasn't pretty, um, but he did a great job. I thought the O-line, you know, I mean, Max Lawman's hurt and beat up, you know, he, you know, he had to be unbelievably tough just to be out there on Saturday. You know, he's a freshman, Helber Fagundas, you know, is a redshirt freshman, you know, Joe Horn, cause Dalton banged his hand up early as a freshman at center, you know, we had Ethan Mottinger is a redshirt freshman at right guard. And I mean, basically we had five freshmen out there for the majority of the day on the O-line and just to see those guys, you know, play well and, and, you know, in light of some ugly boxes, you know, I thought it was a great team effort for those guys. And obviously, you know, Ellis did a great job and, and got some good tough runs, you know, and, and really kind of used Zamar as your second back to kind of complement the run game, knowing that, you know, um, Ellis is our loan scholarship back on the day. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, you mentioned how young you are up front and how young you were in this game up front due to injuries. And, and I've always felt that that's one of the best ways to get a young offensive line going is to run the football because it gets them engaged, to get on people, and it becomes an attitude thing. And like you said, you kind of got to feel at that point in the game that, you know what, we're going to run the football here. They know it. We know it. It doesn't matter what kind of box they give us. We're running the ball and we're staying patient and committed to that. And in this era of spread offenses and hand signals and tempo and all this other good stuff, as a coach – I mean, that, you know, you, you talked about your background and, and you, you know, you're not used to running it that many times, but that takes a certain level of patience, right? As a coach to say, hey, we're going to stick with this through hell or high water, no matter what happens, we're going to stay patient with this thing and we're going to lean on them tonight. Yeah, you know, and I think the biggest thing is, you know, you mentioned the young old line is, is two years from now, those last couple drives in the football game, when everybody knows we're going to run it, we were able to run the football that's going to be a really salty battle callous group, you know? And so the future of that room, you know, with coach Miller and Alex and the job he's done with those young guys is, is going to be really good, you know? And, and as a play caller, yeah, you know, it's hard to do, you know, but uh, it's kind of where we are as a football team right now, you know? And so, um, you know, we, we took some timely play action and, and, you know, we're able to in the second half to kind of create some explosives, but no, we were, we were, we were going to run the football, and, and you know, Ellis and that young O-line did a great job. Alex checks back in, probably outside of Brady Olson. What player has surprised you the most so far this year? Um, surprised me. I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily it was a surprise. I mean, there, there's – we all thought Josiah Johnson was going to be a really good tight end. You know, um, how productive that Josiah has been without the ball – you know, whether it be as a blocker or whether it be as an inline blocker, obviously Josiah's made some plays in, in the throw game. Um, Jarrett Pilata, you know, is kind of an inline grinder tight end, has done a really good job. Um, 
you know, Rico Arnold's been really good. You know, Melvin Hill and uh, Anuma Diake, even though he's only a redshirt freshman, you know, he is going to be a really good player, number 11 for us. Um, obviously, I, yeah, I don't think anybody hoped that Brady would be out there for a year or two, but Brady's done a nice job for young guys, a lot better than I was at 18 years old, I think, defensively. Um, you know, knowing that our death line, you know, Miles Turner broke his arm in fall camp. You know, Drew Harvey, who is a, you know, in a, a late addition for us, has knocked his shoulder down. Um, Zach Magnus tore his ACL, you know, so we've really got just three young backers, kind of what we're rotating with right now. But Jarrell Johnson, Deshaun Ross have played really well. Um, you know, Trey Powell, Dante Lindsay, you know, Cody Jones has taken a big step um, from a maturity standpoint um, in the back end. You know, Bryce Watts has been really good for us. Josh Wallace has been steady. Noah's, I mean, so just a lot of young guys that are that are playing a ton of reps and playing, you know, you know, really key roles for us um, that hopefully will make us better in the future. Coach, I want to ask you about the defense um, during, specifically during the BC game. Uh, you know, you guys would get some momentum offensively, but defensively there would be a big chunk play or or something like that. Against UConn, you guys were able to close the game out, you know, for the most part in the fourth quarter. What does that do for that unit's confidence moving forward? Yeah, I, I think it's a couple things. Number one, you know, our defense was unbelievable in the first half against Toledo, you know, but we were so poor on offense it really didn't show itself. I mean, at one point I think Toledo was one of eight on third down first half. You know, and so just to see the carryover from Toledo to UConn, um, them to kind of see put them a good half together against Toledo and then, you know, really win the game for us. I mean, um, of the 27 points we scored, I mean, the defense really set us up for 10 of them. Um, and it would have been 13 we not missed a field goal there right before half. So, um, you know, anytime it doesn't matter whether you're playing a junior pro team, you know, to hold somebody to one of 10 on third down, you know, they were two or four in the red zone. You know, I mean, our, our defense played really, really, really well. You know, and then representing BC, you know, I mean, BC had a lot to do with that too. They're pretty good. You know, if they don't have an Aaron center snap, they may be Clemson, you know, and, and having been in the ACC at multiple places, I can tell you that Clemson's pretty good. Um, so BC had a lot to do with that. You know, they've ran the ball. I mean, Missouri's a pretty good football team, and uh, they <laughs> – they scored 47 points against Missouri. So BC's pretty good. They had a little bit to do with that. But no, I mean, it's again, you know, when you're able to execute the defense, you know, when you tackle well and, and most importantly, you create turnovers, you, you know, you're going to have a chance to be pretty good on defense that day. I got a quick question about recruiting, uh, which I know you love. <laughs> and, um, you know, one, I talked to one coach uh, at another college about because he, he, he said he recruits Georgia and parts of like Massachusetts. And I said, what's the difference? And he said, well, I mean, at Georgia, they put so much um, resources into their high school programs that a guy will kind of be closer to a finished product there. And whereas at Massachusetts, he's got sort of a longer way to go and he'll, he'll, he'll make sort of bigger strides while out of college, while getting those resources that you get. So what are, what do you see as sort of like the things that are maybe unique about recruiting this area in particular? Um, unique about this area. I would say coming from the South, um, <laughs> you know, I don't want this to sound bad, but it's the truth, you know, and I'm not very good at creating, I'm not smart enough to like lie my way around something in a really nice political way. Um, That's why we love having you. Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest, I mean, the biggest difference, I'm not going to say specific to this area, but the biggest difference is just how much more a football coach in certain areas of the South gets to do football. Mm -hmm. You know, where in New England, and, and, and this is even Virginia, this is, but, you know, the farther north you go, the more roles outside of football that most high school football coaches have. Um, and because of that, you know, the – not every, not, not, not that it suffers. I don't want to make that sound like that it's a bad versus evil because in the state of Mississippi, you know, you're getting a kid that's, that hasn't been in a weight room program since he was in the seventh grade that hasn't, you know, I mean, and again, that 
a little bit more upside versus ready-made product. You know, I mean, that's, those are both in the South and, and they're different types of kids. Um, I think a little more upside up here, knowing that, that from a development standpoint, there's not a trainer on every single corner. There's not a guy, you know, you know, lifting them in the sixth grade, you know, like I was in the same weightlifting program from the time I was in sixth grade to the time I graduated high school. I ran the same offense. All three middle schools ran the same offense from the time I was in the sixth grade to the day I graduated high school. Wow. You know, the superintendent of schools was also the high school football coach to ensure that they did not split the schools. So a high school built for 1,200 people had 2,500 people in it and 150 people on the football team. Wow. Like my high school football stadium is bigger than McGurk. <laughs> you know, and so like there's just a, you know, it's a, it means a lot. You know, and so um, I think here, um, again, there's a lot of upside knowing that they haven't necessarily, you know, been coached that way. Not that they haven't been coached well. I want to make that very clear. There's an unbelievable amount of really good high school football coaches in the state of Massachusetts. And the other thing is there's an unbelievable amount of pride in the level of coaching they get simply because it is so much harder. Like if you're going to be a great high school coach in the state of Massachusetts, you have to love it. Because you're not getting paid unbelievably well. You're not getting a huge supplement from the booster club. You don't get, you know, to teach one class a day and have five free periods to lift your team and, and watch video, you know. And so there is there is a difference. But um, I can attest to that having been yeah. a head coach. You know, and so, you know, my high school football coach ran the weight room for block one, block two, and block three. And then, you know, coached us period four. Yeah, so I, um, you know, it's just it's different, but not that there aren't great players. You know, there's really good football players. I mean, you know, Ethan Mottinger is going to be a, a great player. Brady Olson is going to be a really good football player. Um, Josh Atwood is already a really good football player, and he's going to be a really good one when he's a junior or a senior. You know, and by the way, coach, I can I can attest to that. I've coached against all three of them. Yeah, so you, know, and they're, you know, that. they're all young. You know, and they're playing well before they should, but they're going to be good players. You know, it's just uh, – it's different, you know, but it's just uh, – you know, it is what it is. You, you know, one of the things and, – and and I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I think one of the other bigger issues here, and I, and I just – I'm curious to get your take on this. Coaches here don't also have the offseason – they don't have the time with their players in the offseason that they do in other parts of the country. I mean, let's face it. We don't have spring ball here. They have spring ball in a lot of other parts of the country. We just don't get the kids here in the offseason like you do in other parts of the country. Do you think that that impacts the kids from a development standpoint? Um, There's two sides to that. You know, I, I think the obvious answer would be yes. But at the same time, like I love to see big men wrestle and throw shot put in the discus and I love to see guys compete in track and play baseball. Like, you know, there's, there, there's good and bad. You know, I, I think anytime a, a, a young person gets a chance to compete, that it's a good thing. You know, would we all like to do like other places and they get to do football and compete in other sports year round? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think there's good and bad. You know, I've also coached a lot of kids from other parts of the country that, that are honestly kind of burnt out, you know, because since they were in the seventh grade, they've played football 365 days a year and been in a weight room, 360 of them. Um, so there's good and bad. You know, I, I think the biggest thing, as long as they're developing athletically, you know, that it's a good thing. As long as they're competing and they're developing their competing skills and adversity management skills, I think that's a good thing. Um would you love as a college football coach to be able to watch kids practice in the spring? Absolutely. You know, would you love to see a kid in the spring and then go back and watch him in the fall and see how much he's grown as a player, which would lead you as a recruiter to say, hey, look, if he can grow this much in five months, imagine what he's going to do in another five, you know, and that just adds another layer to the piece of projection, you know, and so there's there's good and bad. Um, but would I love to be able to see kids play high school football in the spring up here? Absolutely. You are watching the New England Football Show. I'm John Tiernitas. As always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. And we're fortunate tonight to be joined by UMass head football coach Walt Bell coming off a big 27-13 win over UConn. 
Coach Alex has another question here for you. On another call, you mentioned how much the portal and one-time transfer rules affect how you attack recruiting. Can you touch on how you hope to attack recruiting with high school, JUCO, and the portal? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's not just that. You know, the NC, you know, NCAA's new rule, you know, that, that will allow you to add up to seven new players. Like, I wish that rule would have existed in 2019 so I didn't have to play an entire season with, you know, 52 scholarship players and – um, that would have been nice. You know, we would be at 85 now had that rule existed, you know, for the last two years. You know, we'd be in a much better place from a number standpoint. Um, so that will actually provide some relief. Um, you know, so number one with the rule change, that will have some big effect. I think the negative unintended consequence of all these rules, because obviously right now everything, you know, like all things, whether it be politically, athletically, you know, everything right now is kind of swung to the players, which – you know, nobody shows up to watch me coach. They all show up to watch the players. So I understand that. Um, but as everything has swung so far this way, I think kind of the unintended consequence is the damage that it's going to do to high school players. Um, you know, just in terms of the overall number. Um, I think it's going to be the same thing for junior college players, simply because would you want a kid out of junior college or would you want a kid that's already been in another five-year program? You know, would you want an 18-year-old high school player that you may not even be employed to coach anymore in five years? Or would you want somebody a little more ready-made that could help you now? Um, so I think it's going to do a lot of damage to the overall number of high school players that people are going to take. I think it's going to do a lot of damage to the overall number of junior college people to get taken, you know, in a signing class. Um, but with the new number rule that just went into effect in October, it'll be really interesting to see how it all plays out. I think for us, you know, we've had the youngest team in college football two years in a row. Um, we've got a great foundation in place, you know, and for us moving forward, it probably is going to be geared more towards, you know, if we're able to, you know, push our NLI number, you know, up 25 or upwards, you know, it probably is going to be a third and a third and a third knowing that we do have a great young foundation of our team, you know, and from now it's going to be more needs-based and a little bit more, you know, who can help us sooner rather than later, you know, which is a shame, you know, because when we took this job, we took this job knowing that it was going – if we were going to be what we want to be at the University of Massachusetts, that we were going to have to be like Iowa, that we were going to have to be what Coastal Carolina is now. You know, the one thing that people don't understand about Coastal Carolina is 18 of their 22 starters are 22 years of age or older. I mean, they're, they're one of the oldest teams in college football. Wow. 16 of their 22 have started 40 or more games. Like, they have an old bunch. Because in 2019, in 2018, when a lot of my best friends in coaching Arkansas State were beating the brakes off Coastal Carolina, it was all those same guys. But now they're fourth, fifth, and sixth-year players. And they've had that time to develop. They've had continuity. They have good systems in place, you know. And so when we took this job, we've taken nothing but young people, hoping that in four or five years we look like that. We are the old battle callous bunch. We are Jim Groby in Wake Forest. We are Dave Clawson in Wake Forest with an old, seasoned, mature, that it's our 21, 22, and 23-year-olds playing against your 18 and 19 year olds, you know, it just so happens right now we're the 18 and 19 year olds, you know? And so I think with these rule changes, it'll be really interesting to see who is able to kind of hold true and be the developmental program. They want to be who feels like they have time to do that, you know? And so it's going to be a dance, but I would think right now we're probably going to be in a mix of, you know, high school players that are going to continue to be good developmental players. Um, you know, transfer portal and junior college additions that have two and three years that can grow with your program, but also offer you some immediate help. And then whatever we have to do to, you know, be as good as we can be with the rest of those spots. Coach, this fan base has not been the most patient uh, at times, but uh, on a day like Saturday, you see, you know, the investment and how much people care. What do you think is the biggest thing either that you have to do or people above you have to do to maintain this level of excitement and, and interest in the program? Well, I, th I think first and foremost, you know, Middle Tennessee State University, Louisiana Lafayette, Memphis, Oklahoma State, Southern Miss, North Carolina, Arkansas State, uh, Maryland, Florida State, 
there's not a fan base in the world that's patient. So it, it's not specific to, to UMass. Um, I think the second part of the question you asked me is what are the people that above me have to do, you know, to make this place better? Um, you and I both know I can't answer that question um, simply because those are the people that, that take care of my daughter and my wife, um, provide me a paycheck. You know, that'd be a question that, that I would be very happy to answer off air. But, um, you know, those are conversations between myself, the athletic director, and, and, you know, he has those conversations with the people above him. Mm-hmm. You know, I've said this publicly, I, you know, we, we've we got to get in a league. You know, we've got to make the investment required to be in a league. Um, you know, because obviously as this thing pairs off, you know, and I think part of the reason why being in a league is so important is, number one, you're recruiting against people you play against, you know, and, and we kind of talked about that earlier. You know, the way you develop rivalry is through recruiting. You know, the ability to for to tell an 18 to 21-year-old that you're going to have a chance to play for a championship, you know, in your league, that's important. Um, you know, and so, you know, we desperately need that to happen. That will elevate recruiting. It will elevate, you know, everything that we do, you know, and also it will give us peers, you know, to recruit against, you know, because, for instance, if we were in the MAC, I know that academically we would be the best school in that league. You know, I know from a television standpoint, that would get us on ESPN probably six or seven times a year. That would be huge for our institution. Um, I know from, you know, a natural rivalry standpoint, you know, Buffalo would be a great one. You know, I know physically how we match up compared to Eastern Michigan as opposed to Coastal Carolina. You know, I mean, just it it would be really good for our program to be able to find a way into a league. Um, You know, and so – and there's two parts to that. Obviously, we have to do our part of the football program to make ourselves attractive, you know, but, you know, there, there's people outside of this program that also have to do everything they can to make our football program attractive, you know. And so there's there's all sides to that. Obviously, I am not an excuse guy, you know. No matter what the job is, no matter how hard it is, no one cares about your problems and most are glad that you have them. So we have to find a way or I won't be here. I mean, it's really that simple. Um, you know, we got to find a way to win games, no matter how hard it is, you know, no matter what we have to do. Um, so I understand all that, um, you know, but we we have to find a way to get that done. You know, hopefully this next batch of realignment can, can help move that forward, you know, and, uh, you know, other than that, you know, we, we got to, you know, we got to continue to improve, elevate our program. You know, do whatever we have to do offensively and defensively on special teams. But more than recruiting anything else, we've got to build a roster where no matter what the schedule is, that we can, you know, play good football. I was curious. um, I remember when you had your first press conference, and I was wondering if there's anything a couple years down the road that you know now that you didn't know then that you would love to tell yourself back then. And is there anything that – uh, on the flip side that you knew coming in that, you know, sort of went as you expected uh, in terms of your first head coaching job? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I mean, let, let's all be really honest here. A large part of the reason I got the job is because it wasn't attractive to a large number of people, you know, and I knew that going in, you know, um, when they kind of give you the initial roster report, you know, and there's 52 able-bodied people, I mean, that's not even an FCS roster. You know, we had three scholarship D tackles. I mean, our first game here, we started a, reg- a freshman walk-on nose guard. Um, you know, I mean, we knew it was going to be hard. Um, we traveled 49 people to Northwestern. You know, I mean, we we knew it was going to be hard, you know, and but we've been really adamant about sticking to the plan. You know, we've, you know, done everything we could to avoid trying to fix it quickly, which means you don't fix it ever. Um, you know, we've played an unbelievable amount of young players well before they were ready every position, you know, hoping to three and four years down the road, knowing that we'll be the older, more mature, you know, more physically able bunch, um, you know. And so from a plan standpoint, I mean, we knew it was going to be hard and that's okay. You know, I mean, uh, I think the second part is, um, 
anything that, that, you know, we didn't expect, I, I wouldn't say no. I don't think anybody, you know, expected this thing to get turned overnight. I mean, um, you know, we, you know, we knew, you know, I think, um, as somebody that's been to 13 bowl games in 16 years, you know, losing something that you don't get used to, you know, the ability to stay positive through probably the hardest thing I've ever been through in my entire life, you know, <laughs> um, athletically at least is hard. You know, it's even harder when your kids invest the way that our players do and you see how hard they, I mean, to me, that's the, you know, that's the, I think as a head coach, that's probably where I've improved more than anything else is because mm -hmm. when you're not accustomed to what we've been through, go through that, um, you know, just to stay positive and keep your kids and keep your coaches, you know, be able to keep the organization positive with the vision in mind while also not making the older players feel like that they don't matter, you know, and my first year, I don't think I did a good job of doing that, you know, and so I think we've improved, you know, or I've improved as we've moved forward, but uh, we knew it was going to be tough, you know, and, and so it, it, it makes you cherish kind of, you know, great small story. When I was at Arkansas State in 2015, we beat New Mexico State 59 to 17 to clinch the Sun Belt Conference Championship. And I almost got in an altercation with our offensive line coach because that wasn't good enough. And if you would have told me in 2015, now Glenn Ellard would be the offensive line coach now at Tennessee, he's one of my best friends on the planet. So it'd be like brothers. It wouldn't be like coaches. Um, Glenn and I played together. We're, we're, but, if you would have told me then how good it would have felt to have beaten UConn in uh, the ugliest offensive performance of my life, um, it just – a much more appreciation for the how hard it is to win, you know. And so, um, no, but but great lessons. I love it here. I love our kids. I love our players. Is it hard here? Yeah, absolutely. But that's okay. You know, I knew that coming into it. Yeah, and you bring up a great point. I mean, look, let's face it, life is hard as an independent mid-major. I think that, and I've said that to people around here, preaching patience, that if UMass is going to get to a place where it's competitive year in and year out, you got to get into a conference. People know that around here, and they, it needs to happen. And, I, and I'm hoping that it happens for the program when realignment happens. Um, Alex jumps back in, Coach. Any update on when Lytle might be healthy? Could we see him? Versus Florida State, obviously you guys have the bye this week. Then you play FSU. Do you yeah, I would. You know, and again, Tyler's injury is, is very specific, and it's very touch and go. Um, so I don't know when he'll be back. I don't think he knows. I know he's working his his butt off to get healthy. I know our training staff is doing everything they possibly can to get him healthy. Um, but I I'm, I'm not sure. It could be three or four more weeks. It could be two weeks. It could be, you know, it's just a very specific odd area to be injured in his wrist. And I'm just, you know, number one, I'm not a doctor. You know, I'm not, definitely not smart enough to do that or nor give you guys the full medical report. I just, I know our people do a great job. And I know Tyler's working to do everything he possibly can to get back. I just don't know when he'll be back. If it was a season ending deal, I'd obviously I'd tell you. I just, it's touch and go. Yeah, I think people need to understand one thing, you know. When you're a football coach, you're football smart. We don't do a lot of other things. I'm not even football smart, man. I just <laughs> Coach, I did want to ask, uh, obviously you guys got the bye this week. So two-part question here. How big is that for you guys, both in terms of your physical and mental health, and B, just your thought process moving forward? What would you like to see you guys do in terms of building off of this win? Yeah, well, I think number one is, is, is football guys. You guys know it's – I mean, obviously, we took a physical toll. I mean, we lost our quarterback and Tayshawn Holmes for five. I mean, we we lost four or five guys that were really important to us against Pitt. We lost four or five more that were really important to us against BC. We lost two more that were really important. I mean, we we physically have been, you know, we played some really physical football teams, you know, and we've gotten beat up a little bit. But it's not just a physical beat up. It's the mental, you know, I mean, losing tough ball games the way we've lost them, that, don't, that doesn't help either, you know. And so – um, for kind of us to have, you know, get a win, have a bye week, um, because physically we definitely need a bye week. You know, we had, you know, five straight weeks of fall camp. We had unbelievably tough and rugged summer in the weight room and then four and a half weeks fall camp, you know, six tough weeks of football with a lot of mental and physical adversity. 
Um, we, you know, the bye weeks at a good time for us. Um, but, you know, it doesn't get any easier. You know, now we've got Florida State coming off beating Syracuse and drilling North Carolina. And then we get Liberty after that at Liberty. So it doesn't get any easier. You know, we've, um, you know, we've got two really good opponents coming up and um, we've got to get healthy. You know, and we've got to start preparing for the next two. Coach, last one from me. Um, just going back to local recruiting a little bit. Relationship building obviously has not been easy in the pandemic. Um, do you feel like you've been able to, specifically with newer coaches, do you feel like you've been able to touch base with, you know, enough of the guys locally? And do you feel like you, you are still building um, good relationships around here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the hard part is we physically haven't been in schools in 15 months, you know, and so this is our bye week. This is our first time. This will be my first time in a Massachusetts high school, which I'll be in. I'll be in mass high schools on Friday. Um, my first time in a Massachusetts high school since I saw Brady Olson at Bishop Feehan, not even at Milton, when he was, you know, before he had went, left to go to Milford. That would have been the last week of January in 2020. Yeah. Wow. So it's been a long time. So, you know, myself, Coach Miller, Coach Reed, Coach Tudrin, um, I believe one more will all kind of be in and around Massachusetts, Connecticut, the prep schools. Um, you know, I will be on Friday because obviously we practice Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, I've got to travel for recruiting on Thursday. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, we'll we'll be out for the first time in a long time, you know. And so uh, just to be able to get out and get in schools, that'll be huge. You know, we've got a lot of great coaches around here that have been really loyal to us and, and helped us an unbelievable amount, you know, and so just to be able to see those guys in person and kind of, you know, get where they are is going to be big. So, no, we're we're excited, um, you know, and then from there, you know, obviously knowing that we've got the ability to sign up to 12 mid-years, you know, the, the, the other kind of half of the staff will be, you know, Kansas Junior Colleges, Lackawanna, um, you know, really kind of beating up the, the the junior college circuit in the Midwest and the Northeast. And, Coach, you kind of answered this. Uh, Chuck Rooney checks in. Chuck, thanks for taking the time to check in. Hey, Coach, congrats on the win. Uh, during this bye week, where are the assistants headed for recruiting? Thanks, Coach. Go UMass. You pretty much answered that just yeah, now. That, like I said, big chunk of us in the Northeast. Um, a couple of us will have a day or two south, um, Georgia, Florida, Virginia, I guess you can – the DMV. You know, whether you consider that south or not, the DMV is kind of home for us. Um, well, I think people here in Massachusetts consider Rhode Island south. So, yeah, that's yeah, really – gotcha. But then the other half will kind of be, you know, beating up the junior colleges. Um, I guess my last question would be – it's not another general one, another one you've talked about in the past, but it seems like the state of recruiting these days, there's a lot of offers to freshmen, to sophomores, probably more than ever. Um, what's your philosophy on that? I know you like to have that UMass name out there as early as possible, but you know, what is, what is your philosophy on, you know, offering a kid who might not be that old yet? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you know, it's an absolute no brainer, you know, like when Sam Howe was 14 years old, I knew he was going to be really good. You know, when Trevor Lawrence was a freshman at Cartersville, like you knew he was going to be really good. Um, like there, there's guys that are no brainers and, you know, every little league coach they had probably knew that they were going to be really good. You know I mean? So there's that side of it. You know, I mean, a lot of times when you see a really special one, it's a lot like Sesame street. One of these things is not like the others. Um, it doesn't take a great talent evaluator to know that he's really special. When it's one of those guys, I've got no problem offering when they're really young. Um, but I also have been at Memphis, Southern Miss, Arkansas state, you know, even Oklahoma State within the confines of the P5 at the time, where sometimes your biggest advantage is to watch a lot of senior tape and be able to see the high school player it is most developed, you know, when he's 17 or 18, you know, because there's some programs I've been at where you make all these offers when they're sophomores and they're not the best 18-year-old. They're not the best senior, you know. And so, like, when we were at Southern Miss, you know, we really didn't offer anybody before their senior year. And we were watching the first four weeks of senior tape because we were trying to get the best 18-year-old with the biggest upside that could then be the best 22-year-old. You know, I mean, 
we had a lot of NFL football players on our, our 2011 team at Southern Miss, and we were a lot of them's only offer. Um, you know, simply because we weren't in a hurry like Ole Miss and Mississippi State, you know, and Alabama and some of those people. You know, we were able to watch a lot of senior tape because you all know there's a huge difference between a 15 year old and 18 year old. There's a huge difference between a high school sophomore and a high school senior. So when you know, you know, but also at the same time, sometimes it's good to be late later. You know, sometimes it's good to see them, you know, play an entire junior year, play four games into their senior year and see how they've developed and see how they physically matured and their bodies have changed, you know, because as people that have been around high school athletes, like you understand, like there's a huge difference between a high school junior and a high school senior, you know, and it's no different at the college level. There's a huge difference between an 18 year old and a 22 year old, you know, I mean, like there's a huge difference, you know? And so to me, it's, it's just, if you know, you know, but also there's nothing wrong with seeing those guys play late. Coach, I want to say thank you for taking the time tonight. It's uh, it's a pleasure as always. You've been very good to us in our uh, time of operation, and we appreciate that. I want to say congratulations again on the win. And uh, our hope is that you guys obviously continue to build off of that and you have continued success the rest of the season. Uh, you know, I know that I could say from a coaching standpoint, I know you guys are doing it right over there. And I know you're trying to build the program the right way. And um, you know what? I think you're the right guy to get it there. And we appreciate your time, sir. Well, I appreciate Thanks, that. Sir. I appreciate that, fellas. You know, again, man, just, you know, as long as we can keep building, keep developing our roster, you know, because, again, we, we want to be a developmental program, you know, and obviously COVID put a big dent in that. We got to practice 20 times and play four games after 10-day quarantines. I mean, that's really – not in, you know, <laughs> not really helpful, you know, when you're not allowed to even be in a weight room, um, you know, at our place. So, um, no, it's just we're in the video slow and steady, you know, and, and hopefully we get a chance to see this thing to the end because if we do, we're going to be in a position to be what we all want to be. And so I appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys. Hey, any, you know, anybody wants to talk about UMass football, I'm, I'm more than willing to do it. So I appreciate you guys for everything you do for us. Thanks, well, Will. we're going to uh, take you up on that uh, this offseason for sure. We'll, we'd All love right. to have you on again. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful night. Always a pleasure, Coach. Thank you for the time, sir. Appreciate it. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the New England Football Show. For Kevin Stone and Adam Kirch, and I'm John Serenitas. Until next week, peace. See you.